Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 5 through 15 this morning uh, with a focus in on verse 11. Um, and so, if you don't have a Bible, page 811, um, in, the, in the Bible's in the seats in front of you, um, you can find that there, and we'd invite you to follow along. All right, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we do thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has come um, to the earth to save sinners, um, and we, we thank you that we in this place are a, are a, a body of people, um, not who are without um, struggles, not without doubts, not without um, inconsistencies in our life, but, but what we share in common, what our unity is, is that uh, we have been purchased by the blood um, and the righteousness of Christ, um, and so we thank you for that. May that be at the front of our minds, Lord, even today as we study your word. Uh, may we be shaped and sharpened uh, by your word um, and help, help us by your spirit um, to understand um, and, and then to obey even what you have shown us here. We pray these things um, in your name. Amen. All right. Let's have a seat. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, really focusing in on verse 11 this morning. It is good to see your faces this morning. Last week was on vacation, and I tuned in for a few minutes, and I just saw the backs of your heads. And so it's good to see the front of your head today. And so um, not the back of your head, your face. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 is really where we're focusing in on. And it's obviously been just a couple of weeks since we were in this text uh, together. And so as I often like to do, Um, Today seems to be a convenient time to kind of do some review uh, before we really jump into verse 11. And so what we have seen um, through the Lord's prayers thus far is that Jesus is showing us both the, the negative and the positive of how not to pray and how to pray. Um, And he really kind of gives us two do nots, uh, do not pray like this, and then really a a host of principles for how we ought to pray. Um, And so can we just agree in this room that when Jesus gives a clear, uh, in this case, model um, or command, that it's good for us to listen, right? 
Um, not because of my words, but because of the words of, of Christ. And so these do nots, um, these, these do not pray in this way reveal to us what it looks like to pray in the wrong ways. And so we've kind of summarized those um, and, and applied those two do nots. So if you have your eyes on the text and you, and you read uh, verses really five through eight, um, you see that you might be able to see, it's not, it's not clear, and so we don't wanna hang our hat too much on this, but, but we think what we can observe about these instructions on how not to pray is that Jesus is really addressing two, um, two faults that we make when we, when, often when we pray, and he's highlighting two faults that were common in this time. And so the first one was this, is that we are not to pray pridefully. As we, as we shared a few weeks ago, that, that prayer is a denunciation of pride, right? I mean, we come to the Lord, and what the, our posture when we come to the Lord is a posture of humility. It's a posture of pride. It's really when we are living pridefully that we think, who needs prayer, right? I can take care of this. I can do this on my own. And so prayer, from really a fundamental level, is a denunciation of pride. And so that is something that Jesus took as an example from the religious leaders and said, don't pray like them because their prayers are not filled with humility but pride. They prayed to be seen and to be heard. Um, and so that's the first no-no in prayer is praying pridefully. The second is this, praying faithlessly. Um, and so we, we don't pray pridefully and we don't pray faithlessly. Jesus shows us that the prayer of the Gentiles is repetitive and empty, revealing that there is a lack of faith in them, um, that, that, that they've got to beg and they've got to just hope that something catches, which is why Jesus follows up this do not with the assurance that your father knows what you need before you ask him. If I, if I may, I wanna just, I was, I was studying this this week and I was thinking about this, this prayer, this empty phrase, repetitive, and I, and I thought, obviously in no disrespect about some of our neighbors here in Oklahoma City who are Muslim. Um, by the way, we love them, we serve them, and we welcome them, but I think about even being a witness to their prayers. I think about being in their home several times a week and, and seeing them kind of cut away for a while praying, and, and I have a, another friend who is from that part of the world who I've asked him some questions about, hey, what's going on when these people pray? And he says they don't pray with any hope or any confidence that God actually hears them. They do it because they've been trained to do it. They do it because it's what they've always done. It's tradition, but really what he shared with me is that it really can be likened to what Jesus is talking about in the Gentile prayer in Matthew chapter six, that there's empty phrases, there's repetitive, because here's the deal. When you pray empty phrases and repetitive, it's not about repetition, and it's not about um, praying corporately together. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is praying in such a way that does not exhibit faith in who you're praying to. And so I've been able to see that kind of up close with my friends, and I'm praying that God would captivate their hearts and bring them to faith in Christ so that they may know that they have a heavenly father who hears them. And so Jesus is, is addressing prideful prayer and faithless prayer. And so in the statement that Jesus follows that up with, that your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him, Jesus is laying the foundation for prayer. Hey, the foundation for prayer, church family, is the fact that we have a father in heaven who hears us. 
If we don't have a father in heaven who hears us, there's no need for prayer. There's just not. And Jesus says, you have a father in heaven who hears, who knows, who is aware of us, and this is the foundation. And so the question isn't, if we're in review, the question isn't, so if God knows, then why pray? The question is, is if God knows all things and hears us and knows what we need before we ask him, why would we not pray? Why would we not come to a God? If we have the confidence that the maker of all things knows, hears, see us, why would we not cry out to that God, right? And so that's actually a posture of humility, that we have an all-knowing God, and I am not an all-knowing person. And so in these two examples of prideful and faithless prayer, Jesus then proceeds to give us the positive, right? He proceeds to give us the positive side of, okay, then pray like this, Don't pray this way, pray instead like this. And so Jesus then graciously patterns or models for us what humble, faith-filled prayer looks like. Church family, can I ask you a question? Do you desire to pray humble, faith-filled prayers? Let me ask that again. Do you desire to pray humble, faith-filled prayers? I do. And let me just say this. I want to but I don't do it oftentimes. My prayers are not humble and faith-filled. I would say that most of the time, my prayers lack faith. My prayers lack faith that God hears. Uh, my, my prayers lack discipline. My prayers lack passion and fervor. And I'm grateful that my salvation and my security rests not in my ability to pray well, but in God's ability to keep me, Right? And so we all, though, want to pray in this way. We all want to pray humbly and faith-filled. And Jesus is showing us, man, this will blow your socks off. This is why I believe in what we're doing here when we teach the word, because I didn't know this last week. I didn't understand these things. And I pray that if there's people in here that don't quite understand that God would use the preaching of his word to teach and build up the body, especially when it comes to the area of prayer. Man, what a beautiful And so if we slowly and intentionally focus in on each line of this prayer, rather than just breezing through it, which is what we often do, right? So my son, JB, um, that guy can just retain anything. Um, You, like football season's upon us, and he knows his football players. He knows where Baker Mayfield's at. He knows where these people are. He knows their numbers. He knows where they're from. Like, you tell him something once, and so... If we slowly and intentionally focus on this prayer rather than just breezing through it, intellectually, we kind of, so, so, so kind of my point in sharing that is that JB, one of the things that he has done over the last few weeks with no prompting of anyone is he's memorized this prayer. Every night, he's got a, he's got a Bible by his bed, and every, a, 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 about a week ago, or before we left for vacation, I went in his room and said, hey, Dad, listen to this. I was like, what? what where did you... I can't do that. And so JB has the opportunity to, to memorize things and remember things. And oftentimes, we come to this prayer, and it's just kind of a thing that we breeze through, right? We've memorized it. We know it. And that's not the point fully of this prayer. Now, do I believe that the church throughout history has prayed this prayer together at times? Yes, Um, I do believe that. But if we focus intentionally on every line of this prayer, rather than just breezing through it, we are able to draw some important principles from it that I believe Jesus intends for us to see. Like I believe that 
I believe that every single line, word, syllable of this prayer has profound meaning. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about kind of how daunting and, and maybe even uh, presumptuous it is to preach sermons on this prayer. He says, shouldn't we just read it as it lies? And he says, yes, maybe so. But we are also fallible, limited people who need to understand some realities about who God is that Jesus is revealing to us in this prayer. And so we're gonna take time to do that, especially today as we only really look at one verse. And so having said that, it's really it's right for us to seek to deeply understand every line. So today is simply this. Give us this day our daily bread. So we're gonna, we're gonna look into that a little bit and we're gonna ask the Spirit to reveal these truths to our hearts. And so let's look at the opening of this prayer as we kind of review. The opening of this prayer is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And so as a, as a review of that, Jesus gives us first the foundation of prayer and it's this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the great confidence that we have in prayer that our father hears us. Next, he gives us the basis. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the basis of prayer when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, the basis upon which we approach God is a relationship with God. Hey, every interaction you have without your week, whether you're selling earrings from your house, whether you are um, working at a bank, whether you're working at a pharmacy, whether you're working at a food show, whatever those things are, and by the way, those pertain to people in here, um, whether you're buying a new home um, and moving in on Friday, congratulations, y'all, Comptons, um, that Every interaction that you have in your life is, is on the basis of something. And so if you're at a food show, the basis of the relationship that you have with the people is that you're the salesperson, right? They, people are coming to you to seek a service or you're to, there to provide information and probably not a relationship. There's probably not much of a relationship between those that you are interacting with. If you're buying a home, the basis of the interaction that you have with the people you have is a transaction, Right? Um, the basis upon which um, I interact with people throughout my week may or may not be based on relationship, but what Jesus is saying is that the basis of the, of, the, of the communication that we have with God is a relationship. Man, that's wonderful. You are not approaching God on a transactional basis. God is not your, I think I said a few weeks ago, your sugar daddy in the sky. That's not the basis of your relationship, the basis of your communication with God is that he is your father and you are his child. Don't miss that. Let me, let me just say something real quick. I wish we could, we, the amount of weeks that we've spent on this prayer, I, I realized this week we actually could have, we could actually spend that number of weeks on simply our father in heaven, <laughs> on that one little section, our father in heaven. Because you know what our father in heaven is, really fundamentally is, don't you? It's really a, 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 like an acknowledgement of the gospel. If you are able to cry out to God as your father, what is packed inside that is that you are a blood-bought child of God. And so people are like, well, the gospel's not present in the prayer. It absolutely is. 
Because the basis of our communication with God is the fact that you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and that you now have a relationship with God as a father. So this is the basis. God is our holy and righteous king, but Jesus here says that the fundamental nature of our interaction with God is a relationship, and this is only possible by faith in Christ alone and his finished work for us. So you are thus declaring the gospel in crying out to God as Father. And then we looked at what the goal of prayer is. The goal of prayer comes in, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This marks the beginning of the supplications or the requests of the prayer, which are primarily concerned with not our glory, but his So hallowed be your name here is not merely a declaration of the holiness of God, as true as it is that God is holy, but what hallowed be your name is is an earnest desire to see God's name recognized in all the earth. Hallowed be your name. God, would you hallow your name in the earth? Would you reveal yourself to people who are far from you so that they may hallow your name? This is a request to God to make himself known to all people everywhere, that he would be made known. And so as we focus in on verse 11, maybe you're like, wow, we're only hitting on one verse today. <laughs> yeah, this week as I, as I studied, I just realized just don't have the time today or even this week to really dive into the depths of multiple verses. And so we're given something and give us this day our daily bread that we really need to see. So today really serves as like part one so like we are we are this is the ultimate series inception. Have you ever seen Incep- the movie Inception? Like where you know you, you go to sleep and then you're dreaming and then dream within a dream. We are in series inception here, right? So we've got the the book of Matthew. Within the book of Matthew, we're kind of in a little series on the Sermon on the Mount. Within the Sermon on the Mount, we're in the in the series on the Lord's Prayer, and within the Lord's Prayer, we're in a two-week series on on the these three verses here on the request that we make to God for ourselves. And so today's really a a part one of a two-part study of the remainder of the prayer. We'll finish up next week. I crossing my fingers behind my back, I promise, okay? I'm not lying. Because we can't allow ourselves to separate these things in our mind. And so here's what we're gonna do. Let me give you a a vision for what we're gonna do today, um, and then we'll get to it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom way high up on verses 11 through 15. And we're gonna look at some generalities of these verses, and then we're gonna specifically look at how we ought to understand verse 11. And so let's read together again. Yeah, you're, you're like, we're reading this again? Yes, we're reading this again, and we'll probably read it again. Let's read again just verse 11 and 12. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So in this, in, in this new section of the Lord's Prayer, we've got a continuation of the request that we make to God. Remember, the, 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 remember, hallowed be your name through on earth as it is in heaven is a supplication, is a prayer of supplication. It's asking God to do his will. It's, it's, it's coming to God and say, would you do this? Would you hallow your name in the earth? And so these are requests. They're not merely declarations. They're requests. And so now we're getting into a part of the prayer where the requests somewhat change. And they're not as much God-focused. Understand what I'm saying there. They're not as much God-focused as they are asking God to provide needs for us. 
So not just needs that would contribute to his glory, but needs that would contribute to our good, which God is for, our good. And so we've really got a continuation of request um, and supplications here, which began there. But what we're going to see here is that Jesus is not only concerned when we pray for the most important things, which are God's will, God's honor, and God's rule, but that Jesus in this prayer gives equal time to the matters of human life, physical and spiritual. And so we're, we're gonna see that, that, that God, again, God's not only concerned with the most important things that we would think of, God's will, God's honor, God's rule, God's glory, but also with how we interact and live. And so it's really here where the truth of God as our Father becomes real to us. God is referred to as our Father and then moves into a section of the prayer where there's acknowledgement of his glory and power and it could be, limit, it could be easy for us as limited, finite people to get, am, to get amnesia over what Jesus just said, right? Like we forget that, okay, who we're talking to is our Father because then we go into this section where we're praying for the glory of God, the holiness of God to be known everywhere, but don't separate in our minds that God, that Jesus has established for us that we are praying to our Father in heaven. And so don't get amnesia and forget what we have, what Jesus has already established. And so today's section helps us come back to this reality that God is our Father. God is our Father and we are able to approach him. We are able to come to him with our need. We are able to ask him to supply us with our needs. And who but the child of a loving father knows who and where to go to have their needs met. Man, who but, a, who but the child of a loving and gracious father knows where they ought to go to have their needs met. And that's why it's so important for us to do that. And so Jesus literally models for us here that, hey, it is not selfish for us to pray to God for him to meet our needs. It's part of a faithful prayer that God, that we would pray to a God to meet the daily needs that we have. In fact, Jesus will go further in Luke chapter 18 and he'll compare his heavenly father, our heavenly father, with an unjust, unrighteous judge who the parable of the persistent widow, this widow continues to come to him and the, the, the judge essentially says like, this woman is driving me nuts. This woman's driving me crazy. Just give her what she wants and go. And yet Luke 18 says, hey, if you have God as your father, keep coming to him. And if an unjust judge, if an unjust judge knows how to give good things to those who come to him, how much more does your father in heaven give what is good to those who love him, his children? And so here's the deal. Jesus is going at great lengths to say, Come to your father with your need. He wants to hear from you. Isn't that amazing? Hey, my kids are probably not always convinced that I want to hear from them, <laughs> right? I don't wanna ask my kids if that's right or not, but because of my attitude, because of my posture towards them, my kids are probably not always convinced that I wanna hear from them. And I would venture to say that many of you in here feel that same way about God that you think at times, God doesn't want to hear from me. And Jesus, again, is going to go to great lengths over and over and over again, even with his story on the prodigal son. Hey, if you think that, that God doesn't want to hear from you because of your rebellion, then man, just heed the words of Jesus in Luke 15 and the prodigal son. 
man, the, the father is not sitting on the porch tapping his foot, waiting on his son to come home. The father is running to his son, welcomes him, and desires to be with him. And so don't allow yourself to believe the lie that your father in heaven does not want to hear from you. And so let's, let's look at just some of these general, these, before we get into the specifics, let's talk in general about these three or four requests being made in verses 11 through 15. By the way, there's debate and uncertainty around whether in the original manuscripts, whether these are three requests or four. Um, I don't really know for sure whether there's three requests, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, and, and whether or not the word in verse 13 is a but or an and. But deliver us from evil or and deliver us from evil. So we're not gonna get into all that today. You can go read people much smarter than me. But we're gonna talk in general about these requests. But, but Martin Lloyd-Jones draws attention to the fact that despite how many of requests are specifically here, what these requests do collectively is they sum up all of the needs of both physical and spiritual life for humanity. So in these requests, in 11 through 15, whatever need that you have in your life could be categorized and swallowed up within what Jesus models here. And so these are kind of the umbrella of all of the needs for physical life. And so our whole life, body, soul, and spirit is found in these petitions to God, our whole life. Our, our, our bodily needs, our physical needs, our, our spiritual needs, our soul needs are found here in these petitions to God. And this should wow us with what Jesus is doing in this prayer, that he is aware of all of the needs that we have. And God, like this just, I talk a lot of times how um, the best commentary for scripture is scripture. And so you wanna understand what Jesus means. Our father knows what we need before we ask him. What Jesus exemplifies here is showing us that Jesus is deeply aware of all of our needs. And by the way, good commentary on the Lord's Prayer um, can be found at the end of Matthew chapter six in the do not be anxious. That if, if the sparrows are clothed, then how much more will your Father in heaven clothe you? And so chasing too many rabbits this morning. But what is also important for us is that all aspects of your life are valuable and important to God. All aspects of your life are valuable and important to God. That you, you at one time had the Gnostics, and I don't know if there are Gnostics still around today, but it seems that in the scriptures, the Gnosticism is a pretty prevalent idea, and essentially, they positive that life was all about spirit and that the body was of no value. And so Paul, over and over again, addresses this false thinking in his letters to the churches because of how pervasive this idea is. That's, that's why he says your body is the temple of God. He's, he says you're not just all spirit. Your body is of value. God has created you. God has created you to live and move and operate and, and breathe in this world. And so Paul addresses this false thing that we're all spiritual and that none of our physical needs are important to God. And Jesus here in this model prayer says, not so fast, my friend. And so uh, really another gener general generality that we can observe here is the intentional order in which Jesus models how to pray. So you would think that following such lofty request of hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus would go straight into the spiritual needs, right? You would think, all right, Jesus is kind of like 
in, in descending order here, he's, he's kind of giving the priorities. And so how would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Forgive us of our sins, right? It's kind of what we would think would be the, the natural next thing. But no, where does Jesus go? He says, give us this day our daily bread to our daily physical needs. <laughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones writes of how vital our physical existence is to have our spiritual needs met. He says, we need God to keep us alive, right? So in, in asking God to meet our needs, our daily needs, give us to say our daily bread, what we're also doing is we're asking God, God, would you keep us alive? Would you sustain my life? Would you give me life and breath? And so from there is where we pray for God to cleanse and to forgive us of our sins, of our guilt and of our shame. And from there for God's provision of keeping and sustaining us once we have been cleansed to be delivered from evil and led not into temptation. And so church, this is what Jesus is telling us here that our entire existence, our entire existence is utterly dependent upon God his power to sustain and enliven us, body, soul, and spirit. So when he says, give us this day our daily bread, there are varying understandings and, and arguments and interpretations on how we ought to interpret daily bread. And, it, and the arguments essentially boil down to whether or not it addresses physical or spiritual. So is, is the daily bread some sort of kind of spiritual you know, thing that Jesus is telling us to pray for? Or is there some tangible physical needs that Jesus is modeling for us to pray? And so many, including someone I had a conversation with yesterday, it wasn't anyone in my family, but many, including someone I had a conversation with yesterday, would argue that since Jesus says in Matthew 4 that man does not live by bread alone, that it must only be spiritual. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say man does not live by bread at all. <laughs> Does he? He says, man does not live by bread alone. And that's absolutely true, obviously, because Christ said it. We, we affirm that. Whether we, whether we affirm it or not doesn't really matter. Christ said it. But what he didn't say is that man doesn't live by bread alone. Jesus often fed people. Jesus often met these needs of these people. Anyone in this room with any kind of normal Human experience knows on a personal level that there are a variety of needs that must be met in order to maintain breath in life on this earth. And so I would argue that, that spiritual bread is being prayed for here. We are asking God to provide us for our spiritual needs, but Jesus goes on to address those spiritual needs specifically, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to lead us not into temptation, to deliver us from evil and it is, it is that which we need. And so I'll say something here that I often say. Perhaps it's not, per, perhaps it is not either or, perhaps it is both and. Maybe we need God, and by maybe I mean certainly, we need God to provide both our physical and our spiritual needs. We need the intervening grace and provision of God to provide for both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And so this prayer I think one way that we can understand and apply this, church family, is that this prayer is both a request for God to continue to meet those needs and an acknowledgement that God has met those needs in the past, that, that, God, is, that God is the provider of all things. In fact, for us to, to not understand that God is the provider is a little bit arrogant and ignorant of us. 
It's arrogant and ignorant of us for, for us to say that this only refers to spiritual needs because when we say that, what we are effectively saying is that all that has been given to me in the past was not the provision of God, right? The, the best way to know that we can come to God and ask him for our physical needs is by acknowledging that all the things that he's provided for me in the past is his grace. And so who not only will provide what you will have, but has provided all you have had? God. God has provided that. Everything that you have, everything that you will have, and everything that you have had is given and provided by God. And by the way, church family, it is completely biblical and it is completely Christian of us. Like I said, when I say, when you hear me say it is Christian of us, I'm not saying that your salvation depends upon it. I'm just saying the Christian behavior in this area, historically, is that you will oftentimes be the one who helps meet those needs of those within the church body. That when we pray, I mean, notice, notice in this model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Can I just say that the pronouns that Jesus uses are intentional? He does not say give me this day my daily bread. What does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. And so church family, like, God's not gonna drop cash from the sky. Sorry, he's not gonna, like, if you, you kind of think that way, we don't here. Um, God's not going to drop cash from the sky. What God's going to do is God's going to meet the needs of others in the church body through your generosity, through your willingness to enter in, to acknowledge that, hey, all that I have doesn't just, I don't hoard my things. So I don't invest all of my things. Some of my investment is into other people. And so when you pray, what you're, I mean, you are really opening yourself up to some vulnerability when you pray this prayer. It's a matter, do you wanna pray this prayer or not? And if you do, realize that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, the rest of scripture will reveal to us that oftentimes the way that God provides for our needs is through the generosity of others. And so that's, that's you. I mean, that's, that's maybe some of the costliness of this prayer is that you're acknowledging in that moment, God, you've, you've shown us what provision. And, and if, by the way, the, the, the wonderful thing is, is if, if you've been around Grace Harbor for any length of time, how often has it been that God has met your daily physical needs through the generosity of someone else? I would probably say 10 out of 10 times. I would probably say 10 out of 10 times. Maybe less, because maybe you got like a bonus at work, which is a gift from God. But those of you who've been sick, those of you who have been kind of out of commission for one reason or another, the way that God is giving to you your daily bread has often come through the gift and the generosity and the sacrifice of someone else in this church body. And so lean into that, church family. Get involved with community groups. Get involved with people that you see on Sunday mornings. Follow up with people throughout the week. Care for them in these ways that God has called us to because that's costly. When we talk about community, man, we are, we are in a, a age where like, I'm all about setting healthy, right boundaries, right? Boundaries are good. Boundaries are important. 
But so oftentimes, we do, we do not realize that community and fellowship with one another is synonymous with sacrifice. That, that the community and the fellowship that God has called us to oftentimes is sacrifice. And a lot of the self-help health books that you read these days will do a lot to push you away from a lot of sacrifice, won't they? It will push you away from anything that costs you any kind of convenience. It will pull you away from those things when the Bible is what commands us and says, hey, community and fellowship is synonymous with sacrifice. Hey, following Jesus is costly, isn't it? Um, but, but don't just think of that as salvation. Don't just think about when you, when you choose to follow Christ. Don't think of the, the costliness of, of Christianity only as that decision to follow Christ. Hey, the costliness also comes in some of the commands that he gives. The costliness also comes in forgiving. You, you realize that forgiving other people is costly, right? What does it often cost us to forgive? For me, it costs me a lot of my, 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 my pride because Jesus is gonna talk about forgiveness later. We won't get to that today, but it's when we forget that we've been forgiven that we refuse to forgive others. And so just realize that this is kind of, man, the, the Christian life is wonderful, but it's costly. It's, it's costly. And so we see here in this model prayer that we pray not only for, get, for God to meet my needs, but ours, but our needs. And so in asking God to provide for our needs, we are acknowledging that God is the one who provides all things and that he is the one who has provided all that we have. And so this prayer in each of its individual parts is so multifaceted. In praying for God to provide, we praise him for what he has provided. And so in kind of concluding this, how do we make sense of this in our own lives? How do we, what's something that kind of just helps us grasp this? Well, I believe that this is so much the story of the gospel. We, we, we ask God to provide based on what he has provided right? And that's true both physically and spiritually. God, would you provide for the needs of my family in faith that he will provide? Because guess what? He provided yesterday. He provided last week. He provided last year when times were really hard. He provided 10 years ago when, man, we thought we were going to just lose it. He provided 30 years ago when, when something happened and, and all, of, all of our financial security was pulled out from underneath us. God provided. God provided then, and based on past faithfulness, we can trust that God is going to provide in the future as well. And so this isn't only true of our physical needs, but this is most importantly true in the gospel. This is most importantly the case when we see what God has done for us in Christ. It is vitally important today for us to acknowledge that as important and as necessary as your life is, your physical life here on this earth, your greatest need is to be near God. Your greatest need is to be near to God. And so if you don't know him, I pray that you would come to know him. Can I, let me say something I've said before and I think it's just a perfect time to say it as we're in this prayer. It is a wonderful thing knowing God as father. Isn't it? Amen? It is a wonderful thing knowing God as father. But because of what the Bible tells us, 
not everyone will meet God as their father. There are some, there are many in this world who one day will not meet God as their father, but they will meet him as their judge. And that is not the, that's not the side of God I wanna see. And praise God for those who are his children. You will not meet God as your judge. You will come before God and you will see him as your father. And so like, that's the, the choices that we have in eternal life is that you either come to God as father or God reveals himself to you as judge on that final day. So if you don't know him, I pray you would come to know him. If you know him, your life is to be wholly committed to him, growing in him, growing in love for others. And, and the beautiful thing about all of this is that we have the opportunity every week, yes, I'm gonna tie it back to the Lord's Supper because this is what the church historically has tied all these ideas back to. As early as the Passover and in, in, in the people of God coming out of Egypt, the reason why the Passover was implemented was why? Remember what God did for your, your forefathers then. The reason why God instituted the Lord's Supper, why Christ instituted the Lord's Supper is because now we have an opportunity not just to say, look what God did for those people, but look what God did for you. You have an opportunity to say, look at what God did for you. And so this idea of asking God to give us this day our daily bread is asking God to provide what we will need and praising God for what we have received from him. And that is what we see every week. How often do your minds and your bodies and your feet and your lateral moves out of your seats right there? Wasn't that, that was pretty cool, right? The lateral moves, was that attractive? Um, your lateral moves out of your seat, the humility that it takes to come from where you are. How often does your body need to go through that motion as often as possible? As, as, as often as we gather. The early church, as often as they came together, practiced this. And the reason why is because every single week, every single Lord's Day, it was an opportunity for them to say, God has been faithful, God is faithful, and God will continue to be faithful. And we see that in the bread and the cup. We see that in these things. And no, does it look exactly like it did in the early church? Probably not. That's why I like having a community group on Sundays because we get to do this and then we share a meal together at my home. So if you don't have a community group, come, that's a plug. Um, we see that this is what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 11, that what we do when we partake is we proclaim God's faithfulness in the past, we proclaim God's faithfulness now in the present, and we proclaim God's faithfulness to us in the future based on what he's done for us. Man, that's beautiful. And I want, I need to be reminded of that every day and every week. And so what a beautiful opportunity that we have now as the people of God to do this, to as we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread, we know that God is going to do that. More importantly, God's going to do that spiritually for us. Because if you are a child of God, you are secure and you are kept in him. And so here's what I want us to do. As, as we've, we've done, tried to do each of these few weeks, I'm just gonna ask the, the music people just to wait a little bit. We don't want any kind of emotional response. That's not what we're trying to do. Just take time to do this. This is a model for us, but the expectation of the people of God has always been that they would do what Christ 
commanded. That's the early church, as the early church and the, and the church throughout the first centuries. What, what were their marching orders? Their marching orders were the words of Christ to go and do these things, and they did them. And so today what we want to do is we just want to give space and opportunity, as, as uncomfortable as it may be for some, of, some people in here, to just sit in silence corporately in prayer, practicing what God has done, practicing, practicing what Christ has commanded and patterned for us. And then as we did just a few weeks ago, if, hey, if, there are, if you feel led to voice a prayer audibly, during these next several minutes. And by the way, this, isn't, this is not gonna be a little 30-second time. We're gonna spend several minutes in quiet and praying to the Lord. And so if there's those in here who feel led to, to voice a prayer, please do that. I would like to actually open this, not, not, as, not as a closing, but as a, a very planned part of, of what we were doing. I, I met with a friend on Friday um, who, is, who is not from this country, um, who has family in another country, and in this, in this country where his family currently is, um, they are refugees there. And in this country, um, the government is, as fast as they can, rounding these people up and just sending them back to their homes, which is a very dangerous place a very dangerous place. And so I was, I was at lunch with this friend. And as I'm at lunch with this friend, his, his nephew in this, in this country calls him. And, and, he, and, and, the, and my friend said, I have to answer this because I don't know at what moment they will be kind of ran out of the home that they're hiding in now to be sent back to this other dangerous place. And the moment they land in this dangerous place, their lives are in very serious danger. And I mean, it's, it's, it's imminent. I mean, it, you, can, you can read articles about this online that it's currently happening. And so we're asking God, I've, I've told him, I texted him this morning and said, brother, I'm praying for these four names that you've given me. I'm not gonna share their names, but God knows. And we're gonna ask God to, to do that. We're gonna ask God to, to protect them. They are, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, they, are, they are people in a country now um, who are faithful, and they know the cost of following Jesus. They know the cost in a way that I'm afraid that many of us, myself included, do not. And so we're asking God, so if you would, would you take time even in that moment to, to, to lift this family up? Um, and so take, take a few minutes and practice what Christ has patterned and commanded for us, and then we will come together in just a moment and take the Lord's Supper together.